we must live our lives according to the spirit, capital S, not according to the flesh or the person. That's a very different idea than we have in today's world. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hember. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are going through the Bible. It is exciting as we study today Romans chapter 8, a great chapter, by the way. We're going to do that in about three, three minutes, so stay there. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? Today, I'm looking at a potential final resting place for the Apostle Peter. Ryan? Today, my segment is about a specific literary device used in scripture called a chiasm, otherwise known as reverse symmetry. All right, very good. Look forward to that there coming up in about 15 minutes time. Janice? Acts 21 to Romans 9 is the segment where I'm going to pull a Bible IQ question. I hope you're ready. All right, so get your Bible guide and turn to today's passage as we look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to open up the Bible and listen to what God has said to us. Romans 8, 1 through 9. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Romans chapter 8 and chapter 9. Now, I, I love the book of Romans because it talks much about the law and it talks about faith. Now, I thought about that, and anyone can call themselves a Christian because words are easy to say, aren't they? But it's much harder to live the life that honors Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we must be perfect in our choices, but it does mean that we need to live for God. If we live to serve ourselves, we can be sure we're not living like Christ. Just as Christ yielded himself to the will of God, Christians are called to place God as their ultimate authority. Now, we arrange our lives according to God's moral standards. We allow ourselves to learn from and be influenced by the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit's leading. Now, this is a difficult thing for us to do in our culture that is so 
me-centered. The world will constantly pull at us to do and say and think the wrong things. But we have to remember that we have submitted, and who are we to submit to but God? We must follow Jesus Christ. We must focus our attention on him and on doing what God desires us to do rather than what's easy, popular, or what feels good at the moment. It's interesting how many things that we can say that we do because it feels right, but I'm not sure that's the good way to go. I'm not sure that's the way that we live our life, doing what, what feels right, because oftentimes what feels right is not right. So we need to reconsider this. Today, we're going to open up our Bible guides to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is an amazing chapter, and it is absolutely stunning. Take your Bible guides and turn to the passage today. If you don't have one, call us or write to us, or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the page where the Bible guide is, and it will take you to a donate page. Thank you so much for your donations. And then it'll take you to a place where you can download the Bible guide exactly how we printed it here. And you can have that copy for yourself. The Spirit of God, capital S, the Spirit of God. Father, as we look at chapter 8 today, I pray that these words your Holy Spirit has dictated to us through time. So help us to read your word and allow it to change our heart. Father, we, we need to hear your word. We need to hear what the Holy Spirit says, not what we want the Holy Spirit to say, but what you're really saying. So help us, Father, to change the way we live to follow you. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, you and I, amen and amen. You know, Romans 8 is absolutely stunning. When we look at it, it, it looks like it's so deep, and there's several different things that it says here, but Romans 8, 1 and 2 are very interesting. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but they walk according to the Spirit, capital S. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus Messiah, salvation has come and has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, we need to really put this in context so that we understand it. We live our lives according to the Spirit, capital S, and not according to the flesh. Becoming a Christian means our nature is changed through Christ Jesus. When we Come to know the Lord. That's the beginning. As a little child who is born and then is on liquids, and then we later feed them a little pablum, and then we slowly feed them food, God begins to feed us. Now, what we should read for the feeding is his word. As we continue to read his word and understand it, then we grow. And we grow in following Jesus Christ. God is making us through the born-again experience to learn more about what it means to be a Christian. So that's very important here. It's not so much the law, we have to obey the law or that's it, because there's ways to get around that, but it's that we need to follow the Spirit of God 
which has in itself following the law of God. That's fascinating. Let's read on three and four. For what does the law or what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Did you hear that? <laughs> you see, God has given Christians his Holy Spirit to guide them in life. We should be aware of our choices every single day. I like to, to talk to people, and when I do frequently, they say they're a Christian, and I start to ask them, well, then, you know, who are your boyfriend, who are your girlfriend, only to learn that they're living with them. And I explain to them when I have the chance and the opportunity presents itself that God calls us to be married for the sexual experience. And so uh, that gets very interesting. Today, all of that is thrown aside to do what you feel, falling in love and all of that. But we need to pay attention to the word. What is love anyway? First Corinthians 13 has that. We'll get to it in a few weeks. But it's important for us to understand that we have to follow Jesus Christ, beloved. That's what we need to do as Christians. People who call themselves Christ followers, our lives should live that through the power of the Holy Spirit, which God has given us. Five through nine. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit, capital S. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And so, Christians are identified by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Christians are different than those who do not live for God. Beloved, listen to me carefully. Christians are identified by not simply their words, but they're identified by how they live. So if you want to see a true and a real and an honest Christian, look at his or her life. Does their life align or are they trying to align their life with the word of God? That is the essence of what it means to follow Christ, to obey what he said. And that's what we need to consider today. Father, help us to live for you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there.
Okay, so my segment today focuses in on a specific literary device used all the time in the Bible. And the biblical writers use many different literary devices, but today I want to focus on just one, and that is a chiasm, also known as a chiastic pattern or reverse symmetry. Now, just to give you some background, a chiasm is when the same language and style elements are repeated in the second part in reverse order last matching first and first matching last. Or to put it more simply, it's a repetition of similar ideas in the reverse sequence. So chiasms are structured in a repeating ABC, CBA pattern. The biblical writers use these types of patterns to help the reader with learning and memorization because patterns are just easier to remember. And today we're gonna specifically look at a few examples of chiasms in the book of Romans. So let's go. Considered by many to be the most significant of the Apostle Paul's writings is his letter to the Romans. As one scholar puts it, Romans is one of the most important theological documents of all time. Its influence on the course of Christian history and the development of Christian theology is inestimable. Another says that Romans is Paul's strongest theological argument and the nearest thing to a systematic theology we have in Scripture. Even poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge called it the most profound work in existence, and Martin Luther said it is the chief work of the New Testament. It may not come as a surprise, then, that the Book of Romans contains several chiastic patterns in order to aid its readers in the learning of the most important message of all time, the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of these chiasms are limited to just a few verses, while others span several chapters. One example of a chiastic structure spanning many chapters is found in Romans chapters 5-8. through eight. Following an ABC-CBA pattern, Paul teaches us through these four chapters that A. Believers can be confident of final glory, because B. Believers are in Christ and thus are free from condemnation in Adam, and C. Believers are set free from the power of sin and from the binding authority of the law. In fact, believers are free from condemnation because of the Spirit's work, and thus believers can be confident of final glory. An example of a chiasm spanning only a few verses is found in Romans 2, 6-11, and can be summarized as follows. A. God judges everyone the same. B. Life is the reward for doing good. C. Wrath is the penalty for evil. B. Life is the reward for doing good. A. God shows no favoritism. Another six-verse chiasm is found in Romans 9, 24-29, where Paul teaches about the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's family. A. God calls people from the Jews. B. God calls people from the Gentiles. B. The Old Testament confirms that God calls people from the Gentiles. A. The Old Testament confirms that God calls people from the Jews. Some chiastic patterns are only one or two verses long. For instance, in Romans 5.12, a simple A-B-B-A pattern is employed. A. Sin enters the world through one man. B. And death results. In fact, death comes to all. A. Because all sinned. Another brief but significant chiasm is found in one of the most quoted passages in all of Romans. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul teaches us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What these chiastic patterns help demonstrate is that the book of Romans wasn't haphazardly written, but rather thoughtfully penned by Paul, who ultimately wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. 
So I really hope that that all made sense. Uh, trying to show chiastic patterns in a video format is kind of a challenge. But the good news is that you can rewatch today's segment on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, or on our website at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And what's really nice about that is you can not only rewatch the videos, but you can read the transcripts as well to aid you with your study. You know, it's interesting because uh, you, you tell people, well, it's hard to, to artic articulate this mm -hmm. in video form. Yes. Uh, and it is. And yet we do that every day and we try to encourage people to read the Bible to understand it. And uh, as we get ready for the new year, we're getting ready for the new Bible guides and uh, we're writing them and it's very, it's all new material. New material every year and next year is going to have new material. Very excited. We're not too far from Christmas and we're not too far from the new year. So I want to encourage people, if you don't have a Bible guide, make sure you write to us or call us or go online or whatever and get a hold of it because we're going to talk about the Bible again from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It's going to be very, very good. So please do that. Corey. All right. Well, today you and I are going to be taking a look at the supposed site of St. Peter's grave. All right. So the Apostle Peter, St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City today is one of the most well-known Christian sites outside of the Holy Land, outside of Israel. Now, it claims to preserve the site of Peter's burial, and it actually does contain the graves of many subsequent popes, as well as important Christian relics and very famous artwork. So today we're going to be looking at the history of this building and its potential ties to Peter. Now, if you haven't seen St. Peter's Basilica, you definitely should. It's worth a look. The current building there is very grand. It's said that it can accommodate 20,000 people, and it's very beautiful. Now, it was finished and dedicated in 1626, but the first stone was actually laid in 1506. Now, I know 1506 is quite a long time after the Apostle Peter's life, but the 1506 building was replacing an earlier and smaller basilica that, you know, by 1506 was apparently in really a really bad state of disrepair. But that early church is very important. So according to church history, and this has been verified by archaeological work, the earlier basilica was the work of Constantine, the first Christian emperor of Rome in the fourth century AD. So Constantine had this basilica built in 349 AD to commemorate the burial of Peter. And it was said that the apes of the church was built directly over Peter's grave. The idea uh, that the church was built over Peter's grave was really just tradition until the 1930s when workers were digging underneath the floor to make a new burial space for Pope Pius XI. Now, they hit ancient masonry, very ancient masonry, and it turns out that Constantine did build his basilica over top of a cemetery. In fact, he likely faced quite the challenge in wanting to build a church in a pre-existing cemetery. Would he move the bodies? Would he demolish the mausolea and grave structures that were there? How would he not upset the locals? 
Now, thanks to archaeological excavations underneath the basilica, we have the answers. To get around all these sticky moral questions, Constantine had retaining walls built around the entire area. He took the roofs off the mausolea and he backfilled the entire area with an immense amount of earth. Now this created a level platform on which to build his basilica. But what it did for us was preserve an ancient Roman cemetery and potentially the grave of Peter itself. So today, if you visit St. Peter's, you can go down and visit this necropolis, the city of the dead. There's a Roman road that's lined with mausolea that were made to look like houses. And these date from the second to third and fourth centuries AD. Then on a smaller road leading to the area underneath the church's altar, there are burials and burial vaults that date to the first century. Now, we know from a Christian named Gaius, who was writing around the year 200 AD, that in his time, there was a well-established monument that was said to mark Peter's grave. Now, presumably, this is how Constantine knew where to build the church, uh, just over 100 years after Gaius's time. And sure enough, the remains of a monument dating to the second century was found exactly under the altar of the church. There is a wall that was plastered and painted red. And in the wall, there's a two-story monument with a niche. Now, this wall and monument have been dated to between 147 and 161 AD using manufacturer's marks that were found on drainage tiles related to the wall. Okay, so underneath the wall and two-story monument, there are the remains of a first century grave. And there were a few bodies found in situ in that grave, but none of them matched perfectly to Peter, who from all accounts was likely in his 60s when he was executed. But here's where the story takes an interesting turn. Bones were found in a plastered over niche in that red wall. And the dirt on these bones matched the dirt in the grave. And pieces of purple cloth and golden thread were found with the bones, meaning that at some point in history, these bones had been removed from the grave, likely wrapped in what would have been a very fancy purple and golden cloth and deposited in the wall. And upon analysis, these bones are believed to have come from a man in his 60s. Are these the genuine bones of Peter? It's impossible to tell for sure but they did come from the place venerated as his grave since at least the mid second century. And they do match at least his suspected age at death. That is absolutely <laughs> fascinating. It's I didn't know any of that. It's really interesting. You definitely should go and look at the pictures of the, of the underground necropolis underneath the basilica. It's very cool. So here we are in the 20th, 21st century yeah. and we're learning all of this ancient history. We know about it and it's all here. Yeah. So I mean, imagine being those guys. They just thought that they were, you know, making a crypt for the Pope, which was an important job. But here they stumble upon a Roman mausolea from the second century. That's old. It's pretty old. <laughs> you're talking, you're talking, you know, <laughs> we're talking at least 1800 years old for the mausoleums. Yeah. And if the bones of Peter, 2000 years. Yeah, because it had faded from memory what, what Constantine had done. Everyone knew that he had built a church there, but no one knew what he did about the cemetery that he was building on top of. But, uh, you know, it, it was clever for him because he was able to not upset the sensibilities. He just essentially buried a burial ground, but it, it helped us out. 
That is seriously intense. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't know that, and because uh, I've, I've read a lot about the, the Peter, Peter's Basilica in the 1600s and the 1500s, yeah, uh, during the Roman Empire and the whole thing about them building it and wanting to sell indulgences and all that stuff. But I didn't know the Constantine and before yeah. Constantine stuff. Fascinating. It's, it's also fun. It's also fun. I haven't been to the Vatican or Vatican City or St. Peter's Basilica in person, but very fun to do a whole Google Earth thing where you go down and you can look at it. This is, this is what I mean. <laughs> 2023, here we are, and we yeah. have Google Earth, yeah. and we have all these materials that yeah. we can – because before this, you'd, 50 years ago, you'd have to take a trip and see all this. But yeah. now you can see it on your home computer. Mm -hmm. So that is absolutely stunning and remarkable. Thank you, Corey. Yeah, no What problem. a great work. That's fascinating. Really something. Okay. We should Janice. also hear before the question what you do on the weekends in case we have any new viewers. Sure. Yeah. So in case you haven't heard, my husband, Matlock, and I do Bible Discoveries, the weekend show, and we release it on my YouTube channel, which is my name, Corey Babechko. And on that show, we talk about, you know, big issues that pop up as we're reading through the Bible here on Bible Discovery. So things that we don't get a chance to talk about here on The Daily Show, we talk about over there. And we also interact with viewer comments and questions as well. And we pop down in the comment section and, and talk with you guys as well. So if, if you're interested in that, check it out every weekend on my YouTube channel. Very good. We're Bible Discovery students. And as we learn the Bible, God tells us and teaches us all of these things. It's very, very interesting. Okay, we have a minute for you. And here comes another facet of it. Okay. Uh, if you are 41. a new viewer, every Friday I take the reading from the previous week and I can choose a question from anywhere in the Bible that we have just read from. This week it would be anywhere from Acts 21 to Romans 9. All right, and Ryan and Corey are on the spot here, but you are at home too if you want to play along. All right, who was the lawyer that Ananias and the leaders brought with them to give evidence against Paul. Who was the lawyer that Ananias and the leaders brought with them to give evidence against Paul? Was it Felix? Was it Claudius? Or was it Tertullus? Felix, Claudius, or Tertullus? Which one of these three would it be? Which one did the people think, too? Yeah, what do you think? Mm. So off the top of my head, I wasn't sure. And this is yeah. one of the times where I'm really, really thankful for the multiple choice questions. <laughs> yes. because it's not yes. Felix. That's the governor. That's right. Claudius yeah. was the emperor at one point. Mm -hmm. So it has to be Tertullus. And you agree? I think with that's that very line? sound logic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope that you too at home agree with that answer because it's absolutely right. Let's listen to Acts 24, verse 1. Now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, down with the, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. So very, very good. Tertullus was the right answer. Number three. Good job. Excellent. Very good. All right. Let's continue reading the Bible. We need to make sure that we please God. And one of the ways we need to do that is ask a question. Are we supporting your work, Lord? Are we giving to your work? Now, we're going to have to make some decisions about airtime soon. And we would encourage you to pray and ask the Lord, 
how are your giving or how is your giving? And Father, in Jesus' name, help my giving to be right with you. Lord, I, I want to support ministries that truly love your word and teach your word. So help me today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.